Hello, and welcome to Smooth Scaling, the podcast from Insight Partners that helps revenue leaders scale their software companies at every stage of growth. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan, and today I'm speaking with Michaela Downs, Head of Global Sales Operations at Benchling, a biotech R&D platform that empowers customers to get their breakthrough products to milestones and market faster. We dive right in on this show, so let's get started. Michaela, as you reflect on your career, what's one sales operations initiative you've been involved with that had a major impact on revenue performance? Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you, Jeremy, for having me today. And this is a fun question to reflect on. And, you know, something that I wanted to pick up on from my time at Benchling is our renewal process and how we've been able to see um, 150% dollar-based net expansion year over year. I thought that would be a good one. That is an enviable net dollar retention statistic. So yes, do tell. Cool. So I've been leading sales operations at Benchling for almost four years. And when I joined the company, we had like just shy of 100 customers and about 10 sales reps. But I want to say most of them were in their first you know, months of tenure with the company. And I was new to the life science industry, but not new to sales operations. So I, I joined the company because I wanted to help them make an impact in a space that I thought was interesting, but didn't know very much about. So at the end of the day, Benchling is a SaaS business. Um, so customer retention and expansion is really key to our company surviving. And as I said, we had a uh, little less than 100 customers on board when I joined. But one of the things I noticed when I was onboarding is that there was a lot of talk about landing and expanding or the land and expand sales motion. And so even though we're a vertical SaaS platform. We have thousands of customers in our market and with, you know, a little less than 100 on board. Clearly most of our experience was in the landing but not the expanding. And so we had a lot to learn about that if we were going to grow. Yeah, and it sounds like you had opportunities to, you know, 10x or 20x even the lands, but obviously also to to develop the expansion potential within those accounts. For sure. I mean, there was so much great greenfield. I mean, and that's why it continues to be exciting. But in those early days, it was, you know, how do we how do we get out there and how do we actually, you know, maximize our stance in this market? So, you know, I think about those early days, right? You know, I'm, I'm the first operations hire. I get access to Salesforce. I'm poking around. I'm trying to run reports. And, you know, it was quickly evident to me that we had like next to zero operations behind expanding. You know, I, I could find a few renewal opportunities in Salesforce, but there was no reporting on what we retained, how much we expanded, who had churned, and, you know, more importantly, what was in our future pipeline for our renewals. And, you know, I knew we had to act because, you know, one of the things I was noticing with the account executives is that, you know, when it came time, when a term was coming up for their renewal, there was just a lot of scramble, right? Like what was the right paperwork? Maybe in some cases, those customers, their term actually ended a month or two ago. And there was really no strategy happening, right? We were just trying to retain, but there's no strategy for the expansion piece. So we really had to act fast. I would assume with 10 account executives, these early days, usually these are hybrids, they're responsible for both new business as well as expansion, but they may not actually have been responsible for renewal, which is an interesting thing that, that happens. Was that, was that the case there? That's absolutely right. Yeah. So they, they have both customers and prospects. And we also had very healthy inbound too. So, you know, they were, they were really primarily focused on closing. And I think, you know, since there wasn't any reporting, you can't blame them, right? There wasn't a ton of visibility to when, when their customers were coming up to term. So 
I knew we needed a process and the, the end result of it was somewhat clear in my mind, but I knew there would be a lot of elbow grease to get there, right? So I had no idea if the numbers in Salesforce were right. So that meant I had to go check every customer. You know, everyone would need to be examined. They'd have to be compared against their contract. And then they'd have to be set up properly in Salesforce. And like I said, I was the only one. So I knew I was going to have to do this. And it, it fueled my sense of urgency because doing that for a hundred contracts is not an insignificant lift of time, but waiting for that to get to 500 or a thousand would be a nightmare. So we had to act quickly, let alone all of the, you know, the opportunity we would miss out on if we didn't get our arms around that process. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess, where did you start at the, because you have a lot of different starting points. So I, I started with the reconciliation. So like my, my quote unquote, like empty time was just running the list and like just pulling, okay, here are the customers I can see. And let's just start pulling up contracts, looking at their pipeline. Are the term dates matching Salesforce? Is the revenue matching Salesforce? And just, you know, running that, that rigor. And then I'd say the, the meatier part of the time though was spent actually mapping out, okay, if we have a process, what does that need to look like in Salesforce? What do we need to document for the AE so that they could follow it? And it actually even resulted in our order management function that we still have today. And they continue to provide quality control and innovation for all of our bookings, but renewals are a big piece of that. I think that's an interesting part too, is like you start to find new roles and you start to find places where, okay, I'm doing this alone now, but like who are the people that need to get folded in in the future? to actually shepherd this process in a healthy way. I'm starting to form guesses just based on my own past experience on some of the things that you can do. One of the things that that a lot of early stage companies don't set up but should set up, right, is an automatic opportunity generation when you close a new business opportunity. And CPQ packages have that built in, but early companies don't usually have CPQ. So they they really require a pretty savvy RevOps person to set that up. Was that part of the processes that you put in place? I'm so glad you mentioned that. It actually was. And we, we ended up working with a third-party Salesforce developer who I had worked with in the past and really trusted. So once we had the process mapped I think at some point I also did end up hiring two sales ops people that we were determining where they would live, but they were helping me. And then we were working with the developer to create exactly what you just mentioned, you know, the automated renewal creation once we win business so that we don't have reps manually doing that each time and potentially getting it wrong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You've mentioned a couple of times, by the way, when we, one was that you were the first sales ops hire that you poked around inside of Salesforce. And then also that, you know, ultimately you had a, a third party consultant. When well, a lot of the listeners are CEOs or CROs of hyperscale companies, and we often get asked with that first sales ops or rev ops hire, how technical does that person need to be? Do they need to be a Salesforce expert or should they be more of a, a high level strategy person if one had to make a if one had to make a choice? Where do you come down on that? I do think they have to be a little bit of both. I'm personally a certified Salesforce admin, but I'm definitely not a developer, but I know enough. I know how to poke around. I know what works in Salesforce. I know generally how the data model needs to be set up. And I do think you need that grip in the beginning in order for that person to be effective. 
but it, it definitely changes as you grow. I'd say what was funny about Benchling and unique is that we're a science company and many of the people, especially when I joined, you know, they're coming from science backgrounds and quite literally working in a lab bench or they had PhDs. So they love data. So actually, this is a team I've never had to fight to get data into a system because they're all about that. It was mostly the consistency and the organization of it that we really needed to nail. Is that data centricity also true of the salespeople that you're hiring? Are are you hiring people who have that background or are they more traditional SaaS sales professionals? It's definitely changing as we get bigger, but I'd say in the early days, many people are coming from that, you know, they were either selling in the space or they have been working on the bench. But we are trying to scale and we are finding, you know, especially as we move up market, it's really, really interesting to see how the skill set does need to change. And when you are selling, you know, to enterprise customers, you know, we work with, you know, top 50 biopharma companies that the way they make their corporate decisions might not be too different, right, than other Fortune 500 companies that they're working alongside. Beyond putting in place the automatic renewal workflow. What other processes did you need to put in place? What change management did you need to wrestle with to get this out there? So we needed to put together a playbook and and it had a wholly different sales process than our landing. So the sales stages were different. We had a whole different model for it. The way you looked at the revenue numbers were slightly different because we were also looking at the incremental value versus the value you were retaining. So I'd say the change management was a lot of education on what it means to retain, what are the metrics behind it, and how does that impact your expansion? So things like you know net retention rates or gross retention rates, they were largely new to the organization because when you're mostly landing, you're not thinking about that. So if you had a whole bunch of AEs who had quotas that were new business or expansion, right? And now you needed them to actually spend some time to devote to retention. Did the comp plan change? Did they have a a retention component to it or a, a net dollar expansion overall target? So we actually didn't have to change our comp plan because they've always been commissioned on the incremental ACV, which they could attract through obviously the new lands or through expanding their customers. I do think something that's interesting about Benchling and just where we were at the time, which is a good problem to have, is that we had many customers who we were finding expansion paths perhaps before their renewals were coming up to term. So The change management was not only getting their heads around, how do you manage a renewal, but how do you also manage a change order in the middle when a customer finds, hey, I bought 10 seats from you, but I actually need another 10 more. And I know there were other applications, you know, again, really exciting, good problems to have when your software is working and you're getting people on board. But the process for making sure we're actually upselling, expanding, and tracking it in the right way, it definitely requires a lot of attention so that people understand the dynamics of, if I'm adding seats midterm, what does that mean for my renewal in the future? And am I recording and getting that paper set up properly? I had a question recently actually about how do I handle the ARR calculation for a mid contract coterminous upgrade? We love those. Yeah, I'm sure you get that a lot. What do you, how do you handle that? I mean, this is where the order management function is really critical, right? And making sure that we're reconciling the numbers, everyone is thinking about them the right way. Like, I'd say, I'll get to this at the end. But you know, I think our next iteration of this is baking in more automation, because we have been very white glove with our order management process, because we have so many, we can have so many upsell transactions with a customer, making sure those numbers foot is really important. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so do continue. So what, what, what else did you encounter along that journey? 
So I think it was really interesting to see. So once we had the data model in place, we had everything reconciled, we had our new automation with the opportunities set up. I think everything changed when we had that model in place. And once we could see what our retention targets were and how much pipeline we had, suddenly the AEs could understand the impact of not only taking care of customers, but like taking really good care of customers, right? Because now they had a path to see where they had pipeline and where they had opportunity just within their customer base without having to go prospect. And so in the first few quarters of implementing this, we started seeing some of the AEs really boost their attainment by working closely with customers and realizing, you know, really meaningful expansions with them. And it finally felt like we could be serious about talking about that land and expand motion that we talked so much about in the beginning. I often worry in these instances that you become a victim of your own success, that the AEs who previously were doing incredibly well off of inbound and closing tons of new business now see that it's a lot easier to farm their existing accounts. Did you run into that issue? And, and if so, how did you how did you address it? We've we've definitely seen that in pockets. So you know, four years four years later, the team is you know over ten x bigger, and we're starting to get more precise with the way that we carve. And we do have reps who focus more on customers versus prospects. Some you know the the classic hunter farmer model. It, it isn't you know, I wouldn't say it's straightforward across the board, but we've identified like where people have strengths and where they should be working. It also depends on our where they work in our account segmentation. You know, so we have, you know, our big global accounts versus our mid-market accounts. And those dynamics are different for sure. So you've gone from from 10 reps to 100 and, you know, I forgot what it was, around 100 customers to probably ballpark 1,000. All that manual work that you were doing early on obviously becomes not possible, right? You can't just hire. Well, you, one shouldn't just hire in order to do that. One should put in place some some forms of automation. So w- what did you turn to to, to be able to, to scale your your organization without having to hire tons and tons of people, a 10x, yeah, 10x your people. It's true. I mean, and, and forgive me if I said 10x. So our sales team, we're at about 60 reps today, but our customer base, we are over a thousand customers now. And the scale is really, you know, standing up what our deal desk team is. So we have deal strategists and we have order management people who are aligned regionally. It's a lean team of about six, but we have someone in Europe, someone East Coast and someone West Coast to take care of everybody, check the numbers, make sure that all the automation is footing. You know, we've since upgraded some of our paper process into Salesforce so that it's more push button. Something I didn't mention in the beginning was that our contracts were Google Doc templates. Mm. <laughs> so every time we had to do like an SOW or an MSA, it was all in Google Docs. And so we've mi- we've long migrated out of that process too. So it's it's iterated along the way. At what point should companies in, in terms of ARR, do you think companies should migrate off of off of Google Docs onto something richer for their for their contracting solution? As soon as you can. <laughs> because you know, there are there are lighter solutions. We actually started with a solution called PandaDoc that we outgrew. We're on Conga now and we actually are not on CPQ yet. We will be exploring that shortly. But I, I do think the sooner you can get the work, the work streams happening in a tool where you can track, the easier it's going to be for you to onboard people and get your arms around any issues that you're having. And you're going to have to hire less people that have to do the manual tracking. So if you had to go back four or five years and and do this all over again, what would you have done differently? 
would I do differently in this process? I think what I would do differently. So at the time too, and we, and we still have AEs who are processing their renewals, but there are other cross functions. So especially as you think of it from not just a sales operations, but a revenue operations lens, you know, really working through what are the roles and responsibilities of all the people, not just the account executives that are in place. Well, Michaela, such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thank you for listening to the Smooth Scaling Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. For more information about the topics we discussed today, check out the Insight Partners blog at insightpartners.com slash blog. See you next time.